the Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, that is right, guys. Your team every day, the Cleveland Browns, the Locked On Browns podcast with your host here, Jeff Floyd. Guys, uh, look, uh, the heat, if you want to use the term, went out in Houston. But you're going to take some good things out of this game today. Look, in years past, when you lost games and you lost games on the road, you got your butt beat in. You got just absolute beat down. The fact that they're still going to walk out of here, this episode tonight, and talk to you about some positives shows that, look, the product is there and it's getting there. Look, guys, I, I you know, we had mentioned this all week. I mentioned on the video I put up on Twitter today before the game. If you wanted to start talking playoffs, this was the game you needed. So, look, we're at this odd spot here right now where you could be drafting in the top 10 again. You have four winnable games. So, look, it's December. How is this season going to close out? You know, how is this last chapter of the 2018 season going to close out? And it's going to, you know, finish the book here on the 2018 season. But, you know, look, a lot of good things, a lot of bad things today. Uh, we'll get into it here. Obviously, you know, NFL spins on Pete Smith. Always here joining me for the postgame show. Pete, uh, look, I mean, penalties, you know, some stupidity, Antonio Callaway. And it's not even so much that he had the fumble. It's the fact that he went to the right when he should have just went left. And most likely he would have just outbeat, you know, the pursuit angles to the end zone. I understand he was gassed. I mean, I don't want to rip the kid because it was a ridiculous effort to get to that point. I mean, the fumbles happen, but just some of that stuff. We're going to get into in here. Uh, you know, the three interceptions for Baker. The third one, look, you're not going to score 20 points on one throw, which is possibly what he was looking to do there. And, and you're going to get this with Baker sometimes. There's times where he just wants to play a little hero ball. Every quarterback does. But Pete, here, look, you know, heat out in Houston, you know, just a tough day, but still some positives. Um, Big time measuring stick. Uh, and, and for those who listen to the pregame, uh, we talked about the fact that, that with Baker Mayfield and this offense, you couldn't get in that, get in the idea that you wanted to force things, uh, that, that you had to be patient and willing to let things sort of happen. And on the second and third interception, third interception, most of all, and I agree with you, it felt like he was trying to make 20 points on one throw. That's what happened is he got impatient. Uh, and and tried to force it rather than than just playing, letting the game come to him, and it bit him, and, and the game got out of out of hand pretty quickly. Uh, but they only ran five offensive plays in the first quarter. I mean, you know, Houston was just humming offensively to start. Right, and and, and there's a lot there with that. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, you know, this is Greg Williams about one every four games. The other one so far this season being the Raiders of all teams where he just gets pantsed on defensive scheme. And what the Browns were doing was sending a ton of guys up and dropping everybody back, leaving a bunch of underneath plays. And Deshaun Watson basically had to survive long enough where he could dump the ball off or run it himself or whatever. And there was a ton of yards after the catch, and the Browns gave up way too much on these little dump-off passes, and and they just got gouged. And and it's a lot of what happens when the Browns get beat on the screen game. And and it just – I mean, you give credit for the Texans. They they figured it out. But it it put them in a substantial hole. And if you're you're looking at this going – you know, for all the things Greg Williams does positively as a coach uh, for this team, this is – you know, this is the real big negative with him is sometimes he just gets – beat and the Texans and, and Deshaun Watson in particular just beat him but uh Baker Mayfield uh showed me more in this game than he has in any other game this season as to why he's he's just an absolute stud uh and you talk about Callaway he he, 
he's a former running back uh, in high school. And he's always played like a running back as a receiver. And that's what you saw on that play. Uh, you know, he's going to bet on his power to, to win that. And, and unfortunately for him, he got beat on a, on a great chop for the football. And, and he sort of has to understand that that's, that's really the only play that that guy has in that situation is to try to rip the football out and it happened. But uh, with that, uh, for all for as bad as this game was in terms of you know the the score difference and everything else, uh, the Browns had two situations uh, where they turned the ball over in the red zone or in in the end zone. They weren't in the red zone because they were technically longer throws and missed opportunities that could have made this a game. And one of the things you and I had talked about was the fact that that we were waiting for that big explosive play out of somebody and. The fact is the Browns got two of them, and unfortunately neither of them counted. But that's sort of that next thing that has to happen for this team is, is adding in the explosive offense where they can they can put themselves back in a game like this, and, and it almost happened. So, yes, the Browns are a not a bad football team, but they certainly aren't a good football team, and, and, and you saw that in this one. Uh, I think, and look, you know, hats off here, uh, Romeo Cornell and the Texans defense. Early on, they had, you know, they were playing a lot of zone coverage, but they weren't going very deep with it. And, you know, Baker, obviously, you know, with what we had said, you know, on the pregame show is there was not going to be a lot of time here. You had to be quick. You had to make your decisions. The ball had to get out. Houston played right into that. And, you know, and and the surprising thing was, is once they finally got the offense going, Cleveland, the offensive line was getting it done. So then where Houston was playing, a lot of the shorter zone, there were deeper holes open and then that's when Baker tried to exploit him. Obviously, he got the two to Callaway and you know a couple of the Higgins. There were just times where it was later on, and you realize, look, the underneath stuff is what they're taking away. My old line is actually giving me the time, which was, a, I mean, look, it, it, it was a stunner. Uh, you know, even with the Greg Robinson holding penalty, he look, Greg Robinson, wherever 2019 is going to go for him, he's going to be starting somewhere. I, I think he's done enough here that somebody's going to say, all right, yeah, look, we'll take Greg Robinson. I'll find a spot for him. So I think, you know, once Baker got over that early, and look, you know, Cunningham was was great. Uh, you know, he's a linebacker with some long, long arms. And we talk a lot about Joe Schobert, how he drifts and makes sure he's, you know, got the spot in front of the receiver heading to the next spot of the zone. Cunningham got him a tip ball, obviously, with the interception, you know, the pick six there. But once they were able to realize they could go a little deeper with their routes, things picked up. Uh, yeah, first and foremost, uh, if if I'm John Dorsey, I'm calling Greg Robinson's agent, and I'm signing. I'm trying to get a deal done. He's an unrestricted free agent. He's making nothing. I don't think it'll be too difficult to get him done. It may be a deal almost exactly like the one you get Chris Hubbard. B- Baker uh, likes him. I already invited him to work. I mean, you're starting to see signs here. It's like, all right, you might be part of this. You need to be part of this. Now, I'd rather he be the right tackle than the left tackle, but he did a, a very good job. I thought the holding penalty was incredibly weak. Uh, I understand why they call ticky-tacky. it ticky tacky. Yeah, it, it full full speed. I understand his hands were outside the frame, low. The guy was sort of twisting. I I, I, I get it. It it wasn't technically holding, and he had the one other play where he sort of uh, blew it. But for the most part, he did a good job, and they mixed it up with both Clowney and Merciless. But to the larger point, Baker Mayfield was absolutely incredible in the second half in particular, when it came to manipulating the pass rush, uh, slowing them down, wasn't sacked all day. And that, you know, some of that is the protection, particularly on the interior. But a lot of that was the way he was able to manipulate the pocket, buy himself extra time. And in in particular, step up in the pocket. He does that so well. 
and the Browns have got so good at it in terms of his offensive line, sort of understanding that if they can funnel guys out and create a lane, he's going to step up and take it, and he's going to exploit it. Um, he made some mistakes in terms of decisions with the interceptions. Sure, uh, I wish he would have. You know, there were a couple of plays in the second half where he he was looking down the field, which I always like, but uh, could have had some some little little shorter passes. There was a big one to, there was a big one to Duke. Yep. Yeah, and where where you know this take the profit type situation. You know, you don't need twenty five yards, or you know, if you complete it, maybe he gets that just with his legs. Um, and he had some inaccurate throws that guys made plays on uh, that that was great. But in terms of some of the decisions, the thing that stands out to me if you're watching this game is how well and he got he got caught on the one to to Zach Cunningham, who's a really impressive linebacker coming out of Vanderbilt. Uh, he is becoming just deadly over the middle of the field in in the, the ability to get those you know those. Those uh, stick routes, those seam routes, those the, the, those those squareins, those those posts, and if you can execute in that part of the field, you can do pretty much anything. Like that's the thing going from college to the NFL. That's the biggest challenge is being able to exploit those windows and be able to create those windows on timing and and some of the throws and some of the decisions he made in terms of speed, like that throw to Devalve uh, down near the, the end zone was just outstanding. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So for all the struggles, and there certainly were uh, in the first half and those interceptions, but if you're talking about what you want to see from a quarterback against a very you know, very talented defense that, again, keep in mind, Baker Mayfield is a rookie. Never looks like it, by the way. Uh, he does not look like a rookie at all. But what he was able to do against this defense with – Certainly, got Callaway's starting to develop into something. Uh, you know, Higgins is a nice player. David Njoku is a really, I, you know, an ascending player. Uh, Nick Chubb, another Nick f- Chubb. solid day receiving. And, well, and the one was the the dump off. It wasn't a design play. Baker kind of stepped up and was like, "Here, you're taking this." But I mean, you know, I, I think it was like three for forty one. And I mean, this is starting to be a consistent thing now. Nick Nick Chubb is he's not just a, a dump off guy there's some plays designed for him and this is three or four games in a row now where three you know three to four receptions right and 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 Jarvis Landry had a pretty productive day uh for the most part and then you know it was nice maybe he's finally healthy set the valve getting in the action but clearly the Browns need more help but the fact that he was able to throw for 397 and I know some of it was in garbage time uh, a lot of it uh to 397 Landry. with these weapons clearly he's going to get more uh, that, that hopefully can help him like this against the Houston Texans team that's that's cruising like they are. It's it's incredible, uh, and and there's just so much to like about what he's able to do and how special he's going to be. And that's kind of where you come away with this. And look, you know, it was going to be a losing effort and going to be an L anyway. You slice it. Callaway scores. You don't throw the uh, the, the, the third interception in Joku. Maybe you get a field goal field goal there. You're talking 39, 23, I mean, 29, 23, 29, 24. Uh, what was spread on the game? Four and a half. Uh, so, I mean, you're seeing that they're there where they're supposed to be. Look, they're, they're, there's not enough, you know, fine wine in the kitchen that you can turn the ball over four times. You can, you know, accumulate the penalties and the big penalties that they did, which were, I mean, a couple of those holding penalties. Uh, one, you know, I mean, granted, Nick got it right back afterwards, but it negated a 25-yard play to Duke Johnson. A little weird today. Duke Johnson seemed kind of MIA for about the first 35 minutes of this game. That was a little strange as well. 
But you, you, the, the penalties they committed today were critical. You had the holding on TJ Carey, which took around, uh, t- took away the sack from uh, Breen Body Calhoun. Um, and, and it was weird looking at the stat sheet that there were only four sacks. They were consistently in the backfield here, Pete, these guys. Um, and one thing we stressed it is if you're going to get there and you get your shot, you got to get them. And there wasn't a lot of that. Right. Uh, you know, Miles Garrett, phenomenal. They they single blocked him once. He got a sack. And then the rest of the game, it was just double teaming. Him. <laughs> exactly. uh, this isn't working. <laughs> yeah. And, and he still had the sack and a half. And, and he's just a he's just a force. Uh, Jannard Avery had a nice day. Uh, I'm terrified. The fact that Larry Ogunjobi left for the, the bicep injury. Um, I, you know, I really those hope- usually on. I mean, it, it, the scary thing, guys, is those usually only end one way. I mean, yes. you didn't like bruise your bicep. You either bl- you blew it up, right? So that's terrifying. That 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 you know that's literally the least useful muscle in the game of football. Uh, so that tends to be scary. Hopefully, you know, maybe it's there's some miracle. It's not. Uh, but Ogba playing inside was beneficial with Avery on the outside. I thought both those guys played played pretty well. Chris Smith uh, even brought a little bit to it. Chris Smith ha- had had some plays. It was nice to see him. They played a lot of Anthony Zettel. Um I it just drove me nuts the blitzing. It, it just seems so unnecessary. They can't block you. So why are you doing this? And if nothing else, they didn't spy him by the way. We talked no. we, had, we yep. talked about that. They didn't do it at all. Maybe they should have. Yeah, the way uh, well, they couldn't because they were blitzing the guys. You have nobody left to spy with. Yeah, the, the, the <laughs> idea that maybe they could have had somebody essentially working as a scraper that when he was going to break that first level, you had somebody right there. But just opening up those opportunities to get gouged, uh, you're trying to get Deshaun Watson to make mistakes, decision-making, and instead he just held on to the ball, uh, took some vicious hits. I don't know how long that's going to work. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's un- unfortunate they couldn't – they could not uh, – Force a turnover in that that respect, uh, and I, I just it, it's just again the, the blitzing just drives you nuts. But yeah, there was a lot there to like. Uh, they they played forward. Uh, I give Deshaun Watson a lot of credit on some of the throws he was able to make, particularly uh, the one where they got peppers on that uh, on that giant push off uh, to the tight end. That was a great read, great throw. Um, he he made he did more than enough to win the game. Uh, it's just. You know, schematically, it just seemed like it was a disaster waiting to happen. Uh, yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it. Uh, guys, brought here uh, the Lockdown Browns post game show to you, uh, brought to you by mybookie.com. Uh, look, betting advice, guys, I will always tell you the site you use is just as important as who you're going to bet with. You want somebody who is reputable. You want somebody who's been in the business for years. You want a clean, simple, easy to use mobile site. Guys, you want mybookie.com. I would only recommend something to my listeners that has been good to me in the past. Guys, we talk about this. I don't I don't place a lot of bets. If I'm going to do it, I will use mybookie.com. In-game, live betting, over-unders on fantasy points, and the most rewarding player perks in the business. MyBookie is currently slammed with respective new membership. If you uh, create your account after 7 p.m. Eastern, they will give you a free $25 just for doing so. This goes along with your initial deposit being matched 100% by MyBookie.com. So, you know, money you're going to put down, 100 get 200 from them for matching it. Do it after 7 p.m. Eastern. Get you your free $25 as well. Uh, the promo code with this, guys, is capital L, capital O, locked on 25, no spaces, locked on 25. Visit MyBookie online today, M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E.com. MyBookie.com, you play, you win, you get paid. 
Uh, now, Pete, with Baker, obviously the career day, and the one thing you see that you love about this kid is, look, I mean, three interceptions as quickly in a row as they were. Sometimes, you know, the old turtle up, he did anything but, and and that's what you want in your guy who's going to be ride or die. And I think that was the most impressive thing you saw today was like, all right, well, we got to go out and we got to get back to work because I just screwed us and we're in a big, big hole right now. Right. Uh, he he is not a guy who, who goes backward. He's a guy who, who, who goes in. He takes a punch. He's the guy who's going to fight back and, and go into the into it as opposed to curling up in a ball, which is great. And, you know, certainly the aggressive the over aggressiveness at times cost him in the first half. Um, I really liked how he responded in the second half. Uh, I think you notice a little something if they start if they start a little bit of a hole. It seems like he presses a little bit, but that, it's just the competitor that he is, and probably aggravated that they did nothing with their first drive on a three and out. Yes, uh, I, I, I'm, I have no doubt. Part of it's that, and part of it is trying to be Superman in the way that he had to be at Oklahoma. Uh, that that if you know something bad happened, he had to be the guy to sort of fix it. Uh, and in 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 with the Browns, especially when you have guys like Chubb and, and some of these other guys, that you don't need to sort of put it all. You don't need to put on a cape every time. You can trust in the rest of the offense. And I think when he came out in the second half, he'd sort of you know whether it was calmed down, refocused, whatever you want to say, it was he was far more trusting and far more allowing his teammates to sort of do what they do. And the the initial drive was, you know, quicker passes, some runs, uh, really using the backs of the backfield, which we both called for it pregame. Uh, and, and and like you mentioned before, it, it, there's no question that that uh, Nick Chubb's becoming a a big part of the passing game, and that's certainly a huge benefit because if they get guys like Callaway being able to stretch the field, somebody's going to create space for those guys to operate. And that becomes a really big problem, especially if you have both Chubb and Duke on the field at the same time in various capacities. Uh, and a guy like Najoku, uh, who who's really problematic in opening up opportunities over the middle uh, on those deep seams and the one on that fourth down where the ball was just a little low, probably a hair late. But if, it, if, he, if he got it up over the, the backer's hand or the safety or whoever it was, uh, that was going to be a big play to Njoku and and what those things could do. Now clearly they need another guy. Uh, the other part I, I'd like to see, I'd like to see them to get Higgins involved more. Uh, I mean, it, right now you're getting little tastes of Richard Higgins and maybe again uh, this is battling through the injury. Uh, but when he gets the ball, it's very very nice. And that toe, tap, toe tapping touchdown was great. And the, the, the other part of this that keeps creeping up and, and is bizarro Brett Perryman. Brashad. Uh, <laughs> Brashad. God, we're old. Uh, bizarro Brashad Hey, Perryman look, at least, his dad's name is, at least his dad's name is is Brett, and you're not calling Freddie Kitchens Todd anymore. So we're making some progression here on a good scale. True. It's true. <laughs> hey, I'm old enough to remember the 100-100 catches with freaking Scott Mitchell. Uh, uh, 100%. So, yeah, I mean, these are just nice things. And along with Greg Robinson, and, and look, Brashad Perryman is not a focal point of the receiving game. I don't think that's ever going to happen. But when but you can make somebody with his athletic profile and his size and his arm length, and you say, oh, yeah, maybe he's our third or fourth wideout, that's just good GMing. Right. And, and if he's a, you know, if he's a fifth, fourth, fifth, sixth receiver, 
and he can give you a play every every now and again, that's all you can really ask for. Uh, and, and he is a big dude uh, that can can do some things after the, after the catch. Um, so yeah, I mean that's that's sort of where this is going at. Uh, big big learning opportunity for a lot of those guys, and, and Perryman included. You know, needs to fight to get that first down. And Joku needs to get fight to get his first down. Uh, out of bounds, uh, Callaway's obviously got to be smarter with the ball going into the end zone. You know, Landry's and, – and, again, I think it was a penalty on Justin Reed, who's a hell of a player, um, you know, needs to be able to secure that football. But, again, you know, he has a – that kid has an incredible ability to time that up, and he got devolved the same way. He just seemed to – it felt like, you know, the, the, like Justin Reed is like the, the guy who has sort of figured out how to be the old-school strong safety in a new school league uh, where he's able to separate guys from the football – uh, physically, without the handkerchiefs. yeah, without without getting killed by flags, but he he was outstanding in this game. Yeah, he came away very very impressive. Uh, you know, I thought Cunningham did as well. I mean, we know about the D lineman here, and you know, look, maybe an off day for them. And look, you know, the game, and this is one thing Pete, you know, said before we hit the record button that it seemed they kind of put JJ Watt on ice for the second half. But that's what kind of good teams get to do, and you realize there's a shelf with JJ Watt, and it probably did make things a little easier. Um, you know, he did have, uh, I remember the one huge play he had, uh, you know, got Nick in the back uh, backfield for a, a two-yard loss. But, you know, the Houston defensively, I think they did a good job. Uh, you know, Browns needed to get started a little bit early here. Guys, you're listening to your Locked On Browns postgame show brought to you tonight by MyBookie.com. Uh, Chris Manning over at Locked On Cavaliers doing a great job kind of navigating you through, uh, you know, a growth season where, you know, you're going to add a head coach. You're going to add, hopefully, uh, one of these fantastic young players in a lottery pick. Because right now it seems like there's a bunch of college freshmen there in uh, you know NCAA men's basketball that are really getting the job done and seem really really appealing. Obviously, you know the tank for Zion is already there, but it doesn't work that way with the NBA guys, unfortunately. Chris Manning, Locked On Cavaliers. Make sure you get it in the rotation and you're subscribed. Now uh, we're going to keep moving on here, Pete. I do want to get to this a little bit. I, I I think we pretty much hit everything here on the game that went on. And look, guys, if you want the bright side, the bright side was if Callaway doesn't fumble, if you don't get that interception for Baker in the end zone, you get a field goal. This game is four or five points late in the game on the road. You know, this is a, a you know, right now at AFC South, 9-3. and three. They are a 9-3 and three team. They've won nine in a row for a reason. Uh, look, sometimes good teams create their own breaks, which what Houston did today, but you, you could have been into it. But Pete, uh, you know, games yesterday, uh, Georgia, that's a tough loss. Uh, Georgia, I, look, it, if you're telling me you want the four best teams in college football in the playoffs, Georgia should be in there. Anybody UCF-wise, look, last year I can kind of understand. This year, you got freaking screwed. You've done it now two years in a row. You deserved that right. But keep, uh, keep some thoughts here on the college playoff football, uh, to, you know, top four here. That was announced around uh, 1230 today. Yeah, I... I... <sighs> I mean, I guess you could argue they got it right, but they got it right the wrong way. Uh, Georgia, Georgia may well be one of the top four best teams in the, in, in college football, but they lost twice. And, and it's, not, it's not the it's not the Alabama loss. It's the LSU one. That's that's the issue. Well, that's fine, but at the same point, like the SEC championship is it has been reduced to a glorified exhibition game. Like this was used to be. A monster game, and, and and it was you know monstrous in the in, in the idea that it was competitive, and, and Georgia felt like they had a shot and all this. But whatever juice you had in that was sort of mitigated by the fact that oh, both teams are just going to get in. Like who cares? 
And it was like a, a glorified practice in that standpoint. And like, oh my God, do we maybe not want to show something because we're going to see each other again in a month. So that to me is just stupid. E- either you have to get rid of the conference championship or they have to mean something. Like, I, I, I just, I hate that as a concept. I, like, to me, Ohio State had no business. You know, you barely beat Nebraska. You barely beat Maryland. You, you lo- got beat by four touchdowns at Purdue. Like, half the season, uh, everybody was talking about how bad Ohio State was and their fans. You, you know, yes, they were winning, but it was a question of how, you know, what what's wrong with this team. Oklahoma got in. I don't think they had a case by virtue of the fact they played nobody. They did not gonna, be- Bama is going to drop 80 on them. Right, and and I think the point needs to be made that both semifinal games are going to be awful. Uh, like Clemson is going to absolutely annihilate Notre Dame, and Alabama is going to was going to just humiliate whoever was in there. And if for no other reason, you could accept that fact as that was a reason to put in UCF this year. And and, and the the argument against UCF last year was well. They they've never gotten an opportunity to to put up to win a big game and then nobody plays them but they have to prove it so they went and went people's champ on Auburn that was ten and three that beat Alabama that was like this this big hyped SEC team and they beat them and they go undefeated again and you're basically t- saying well this doesn't matter and nobody's going to schedule them nobody's going to schedule that's, see that's like the th- problem they're never going to get in now because nobody worth his salt is going to play them and that's that's the college football issue and that's the part that pisses me off as a college football fan so again like don't pretend that those teams have a chance you know figure out something else Certainly, that's an argument to expand the playoff, but I think you know you had a better bowl sort of season set up if you had like Oklahoma and Georgia play, and you had Ohio State and Washington play, and and these other teams. But now we're going to get another situation, and I know Mackenzie Milton was injured, and it was horrific, and I'm sure in some respect that was a great excuse to not put them in, but you go into the season saying everybody has a chance, every game's supposed to matter. And and clearly some games don't matter, and 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 all those games apparently involve non-power five schools, and some of those games are are championship conference games, and that to me is a big problem. You can't sell this as every game matters when you're you're clearly denoting that some don't. Uh, I think the idea that it's the best four teams, I, you know, if you want to, you you can continue to say it that way, but there is no other sport where the best four teams automatically get into something. That's like basically saying picking teams you like and putting them in. And and the and the, the best example of this is when Ohio State and Michigan played, I think that was 2007, uh, the, when they were number one and number two, and it was a great game, and Ohio State beat them, and everybody's talking about, well, you know, they need to play again. They, they, they should be the championship. Everybody loves this. And then because they don't get exposed to anything – Ohio State goes to the national championship. I think that was Florida that year. It got absolutely spanked. And that's part of the problem is there's isn't limited that when, isn't, that when Chris, isn't that when Chris Gamble got hurt celebrating the kickoff return for the house or something? I think it was that game, wasn't it? it, was, it one of those. It, you know, was, I, I don't remember if that was LSU or Florida where they got absolutely stomped. But the lack of frame of reference gives you a problem. And, and, and maybe Georgia is arguably the best team. But at some point, those teams have to earn it on the field and – there's there's a real possibility, however remote, that you're going to find out, and it won't be this year, 
that if you put in a team like that, they they get absolutely smacked. The other SEC team or whatever conference gets in, they get smacked. And you put in all this effort about the eye test and all this other stuff, and both teams get smacked and the eye test wasn't worth anything. Some point playing the game and winning the game has to matter. The playoff and every other school, every other system does this. I know college football is unique. I know they love to capitalize on the argument. Increasingly, look, I love college football, but increase. I don't watch any of the stuff during the season about the BC, whatever you want to call it, BCS or whatever the CFP rankings or all that stuff. I don't watch the selection show. I don't watch any of that stuff because it's just not fun for me. It's just reinforcing how awful and unrewarding the system is and how you know it's just trying to get blue bloods and, and sell tickets and all that. And I and I've never bought the argument that if you put UCF against Alabama or any of those other teams, the teams are, people aren't going to go or people aren't going to watch. Like, give me a break. It's the playoff. You could put any any game on in the playoff and people are going to watch. The only mistake ever was putting it on New Year's Eve during basically the ball drop when nobody was home to watch it and the ratings <laughs> suffered. But other than that, you call it a playoff. Anybody's going to show and anybody's going to watch. So. It's just it's it's unfortunate is 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 the bottom line here. I would like to see them expanded. I would like to see them expanded to the extent that it, you know if it's you know four conference games end up being the eight team playoff, the, so eight, the conference it. championship, then that's fine. Or you go five conference winners and three at large, so it becomes very difficult to keep a team like UCF or whatever team that is that year out, whatever. But something's got to change in terms of this and i know it's not going to in the near time near future unless it uh creates more money and this is always going to be more difficult but there's 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 two options one is getting rid of a season a week of college football which is going to be really difficult in the no, and, and some of these schools need that sixty thousand people walking in their doors on a saturday absolutely yeah that's that's gonna be tough and the other option is obviously you know just saying extending another week uh which Every other level of college football does. Uh, you make the argument that it's for the kids and all this, whatever. You know that that doesn't really work. It's sort of a hollow excuse. But that's where we're at. And I have no doubt these games will be fun. I expect when Clemson and Alabama get to the national championship again, it'll be a fun watch. But I fully expect unwatchable uh, semifinal games that just absolute messes. Yeah, and, and see the thing here though, and it's tricky. Look, I mean, you can make the playoff bigger. But the problem is you can't essentially add games here because, you know, with, you know, Pete and I, the way we follow the draft, you got so many guys now who say, look, you know, I, I'm done with my college career. And if that's going to mean two games, that's going to be mean three games. This is going to be the tricky part. It would be more of, like Pete said, taking the conference championship games and making them as, you know, four to five at large. I mean, I'm sorry, four to five earned, and then you go three at large. Because you're getting to the point now where some of these kids are not going to risk, you know, the financial compensation they have coming four months for an extra game. So if anything, you got to find a way to at least keep it into the scheduled amount of games. Pete, one more before we turn it off here. Uh, Green Bay uh, found a way to lose at home to Arizona, and this is my thing here. You know, hey, look, you know, Ben Albright, Pete, you have faith in him. I have faith in him. Ben's a good dude. The Mike McCarthy talks, for me, it's why are we chasing the guy at his all-time low to take over this nice product they have going? That's the tricky part for me, and that's the non-selling point. That's You, you just mentioned the key phrase, selling selling point, and, and, and selling Mike McCarthy is going to be difficult. Um, however, um, 
you can make you, you can make the case that Mike McCarthy has been in Green Bay for however many years, over a decade. Uh, he's won a Super Bowl. Obviously, he's been in the playoff any number of times. Um, there's you know perceived credibility, although I can't help but point out very quickly that Hugh Jackson was supposed to be the credibility hire. There you um, go. That that doesn't mean anything. Um, would a change of scenery help? Would would sort of getting a chance to get out and sort of maybe maybe adjust, evolve, whatever help, maybe. I think the biggest thing with Mike McCarthy, and, and I don't know that this happens, is it's all about the coordinators. Um, and if you, like, for example, I, I like I would be, I would love it if Mike McCarthy brought Mike Pettin in. Uh, I, I've, I've, lo- I've loved Mike Pettin since he was here in terms of a defensive scheme. Like all these people talk about uh, it was too complicated and whatever. The Browns have a lot of really smart dudes, and it's really good. And even when you watch the Packers, uh, they, they don't have all the talent in the world. They have some really good players, but that defense is just consistently good. It was good in Buffalo when he was there. It was good with the Jets when he was there. It was good with the Browns when he coached it. Um, I would basically put a restraining order on on, on Jim O'Neill from the from the building and not let him go anywhere near. Uh, but, but the key becomes offensive coordinator. Uh, and, and is it Mike McCarthy calling the plays? Is it somebody else coming in? Like, let's throw out the idea that for you know somehow, some way that they say Mike McCarthy's that guy, and he keeps Freddie Kitchens and brings in Mike Pettin, and they sort of evolve the staff from there. Could that work? Yeah, could that work? That could work. The problem is, and, and again, when it comes to coaching, for all the stuff we know about football and the NFL and in college and all this stuff. The amount you truly know about coaches is like maybe 5% of what you really need to know to make an informed decision. So, so much of it goes by gut and feel and all that stuff, which doesn't mean anything, which is why so many of these things are go wrong uh, re- compared to expectations. But you, you can't tell me that it wouldn't be a, a, a substantially underwhelming hire if they make it. Now, if it works, nobody's going to care. Uh, but that becomes the challenge. And, and, and if nothing else, maybe McCarthy being at this low at least forces an open mind on this and maybe somebody surprises you, uh, whether it's an Eric Bieniemy, whether it's, you know, a, a Matt Campbell. And I, I'm not – you know, I, I like what I hear about Bieniemy. Uh, Matt Campbell's – I don't know anything about him other than he gets a lot out of very little. Um, but I, I do like the idea of just having an open mind and seeing what's out there and seeing if there's something that's a really good fit. I, I think the Browns are in a, in a great position where they don't need to chase uh, for the first time as, in, in 20 years that they, that they have sort of all the cards other than the Haslam thing, which is still a thing. Um, and that's going to be a, a stumbling block. But the idea that you don't have nobody can come here and tell you what they're going to do. You're going to you're going to be able to say, well, we've got this, 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 and this, and this is what we're going to do. And if you want to be a part of that and you want to fit in, we think you know this could be a great situation for you. And you know you're coming in with expectations uh, of making this kid successful and this team a winner. You're not going to be leading with. Well, you could be the guy to turn around the Cleveland Browns. That the job is basically done in the sense of turning around the Cleveland Browns. Now it's about actually winning and being a consistent contender. And can they find a guy who can can live up to that? Because the Brown short of catastrophic injury, and God, I hope that doesn't happen. 
you don't come in next year to be a five and eleven football team. You, you come, come in to be next 10 and year, six. ten and six. Well, at, at the very least, you're competing for a playoff spot in December. You, you may fall short and be a seven and nine team, but it can't be, you know, zero and four start or any of that stuff. Like you have, it, it's coming in to win, and, and there's going to be expectations, and Seth's going to be expected to hit the ground running, and all those things. So. I mean, that's that's sort of where that's at. Let's, you know, go through a real process, have a real coaching search. And, and in that respect, I do expect Dorsey to have that. Even if he's really commit, committed and it's basically trying to see if there's a guy who can top Mike McCarthy in his mind. That's, you know, I don't even have a problem with that so much. But at least go through that process and be honest to it. And just make sure that if you're going to hire Mike McCarthy in whatever that looks like, that it's because you have – vetted the process and you have come to the come to the conclusion that, that this is really the best fit and not just because I know this guy from my time in Green Bay and I'm buddies with him or whatever that you know you can work with him find make sure find out all the stuff that's going to ensure <laughs> success and yeah I, I agree and you know look obviously with Elliot Wolf and obviously with Alonzo Highsmith it's not like oh hey you know let's go get you know the fourth horseman here because you know now we got a good thing going and we just you know automatically think he's the guy go four or five deep go six seven deep talk to everybody one of the reasons maybe i always do come around you know to, to a guy like the enemy is the way tomlin got hired in pittsburgh it was never a guy they thought to hire he came in he interviewed and they went through the rest of the process and said holy crap that dude's got a vision and and, and you, you bought in and you know so i agree with you 100 you talk to everybody and make sure that you made this choice because you felt he was the best guy for the job, not just because I've known him for 25 years. I know he's this, 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 and this, and this. Erase that and base it on the four to five hours where you sit together and talk about the future of your franchise. Uh, guys, this has been your Locked On Browns postgame show. Obviously, we got to the game today. Uh, look, disappointing loss, 29-13. Uh, yeah, but listen, guys, you know, like we had said, you know, you don't have the Callaway fumble. You don't have the pick in the end zone. This game's a lot closer. Uh, you know, I don't know if enough. there wasn't enough done day to get out with the W, but... You know, still some positives at the end of it. You know, Baker, as rough as it was early, manned up and, and carried out through the end, almost 400 yards passing. Uh, we hit a little bit on the college football playoff. We hit here a little bit on Mike McCarthy because, you know, uh, you know, the dishes are done in Green Bay, and it is over there. Uh, for Pete Smith, guys, uh, you know, read everything over at NFL Spin Zone. The Locked on Browns uh, Twitter account. Go ahead, guys. Keep it a follow-back account. That's fantastic. You want something, you don't want to even put it on Twitter, DM it to the account or whatever there. You can access my email over there. We get a bunch of great ideas. And I appreciate you guys for all the help, all the feedback, downloads, mentions, uh, iTunes rating reviews. Always please and thank you on those. For me me personally, follow me at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Uh, until we talk the next time, obviously, you know, Carolina next week, guys. A run of games here where, you know, it looks pretty good. Real interesting next four games, the way this plays out. Right now, Browns could be drafting 4th, 5th, 6th, could be drafting 14th, 15th, 16th. It's going to be interesting how December plays out and the focus of the shows you know, that we're going to do in the offseason. Obviously, there's going to be a lot of talk about a new coaching staff. We'll always do with the draft talk, whether it's going to be you know, top of the draft early or mid-first round early. It's going to be interesting how it all plays out. But guys, I appreciate you all. And as we always say, LGB on the LOB. Let's go Browns.